0: I invite you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. We'll be walking through portions of chapters 9 and 10. We won't spend much time in the book of Deuteronomy, but over the next uh, few weeks and and months, we'll be walking through the books of Joshua and Judges and then be in that portion of Scripture. But today, in the last few weeks, we've been following the life of Israel in their exodus from Egypt, and we've walked for a few Sundays in their continuous rebellion Uh, in the wilderness, and uh, we find them today. There's a new generation on the cusp of entering the land. And Moses preaches this book of Deuteronomy. It's it's the last words that he's going to give them before they enter the land. In fact, it's the last words that Moses will give the people as he prepares uh, to die. What are his words as he prepares to part this world and the people? And what will the people's response be? Well, we'll find out a little bit in chapters 9 and 10 of these words and the hoped-for response. But before we dive in, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which is living and active. Draw near to us through your spirit and open our eyes and our ears that we might hear, that we might see Jesus more clearly through the preaching of your word make our hearts soft, malleable, that we might be conformed into his image, so that as we depart this place we would go forward in his strength, in his mercy, in his grace, and in his love. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're familiar with the writings of Cormac McCarthy, there's a phrase that's pretty common or that's known he's known for it to carry the fire. Have you heard of this carry the fire? comes from his book, The Road. It's an apocalyptic novel where he's trying to picture what the end of the world or an end of the world might look like. There's two central characters. It's a father and a son encountering the world as it's spinning toward its end, seemingly, encountering all kinds of evils. They have the following exchange, this father and son. We're going to be okay, aren't we, Papa? Yes, we are. Nothing bad is going to happen to us. That's right, because we're carrying the fire. Yes, because we're carrying the fire. The carry the the fire, it's a metaphor of perseverance. It's a metaphor for living a holy life in the face of great danger, holding fast to goodness, beauty, and truth when temptation abounds, when death stares one in the face. It's a a phrase that captures uh, the ability to hope in spite of dreary circumstances persevere in that book in this apocalyptic earth these two carry the fire now when we open up to the book of deuteronomy uh, we're opening up to the people who've been in the wilderness for 40 years and they are now at the border of the promised land all around them as they look at the land they see a morality where it's flourishing it's being excused it's rationalized it's even praised Left unchecked, this immorality would influence and shape Israel in the land in the same way that they were shaped in the wilderness in their rebellion. It would threaten Israel's fidelity to God in the same way it did in the wilderness. Now, Deuteronomy is sermonic. As we read through it, it reads kind of long. It's a long book. Recognize it's basically a sermon So you should feel pretty good about how long our sermons take, right? So this is Moses speaking directly to the people. It's no longer God speaking to Moses, Moses speaking to the people. But here, Moses is speaking directly to the people, summarizing what God has spoken, expounding on the word of God, the law of God. As they prepare to enter the land. Moses exhorts them to carry the fire, carry with them the covenant promises of God as they seek to fulfill the mission of taking dominion in the land he's giving them. Now, we have this desire. If you can put yourself in Moses' sandals for a bit, what would you say? You know, have been walking with these people for a long time, kind of been a headache. But what would you say as you know your days are coming to an end? These are the last words to exhort a people to honor God. To help those we love. What would we pass on? As parents, we think about these things for our children. No matter how old our children are, we still want to pass things on. Older generations, what would you pass on to younger generations? Even teenagers in our midst here, what would you pass on to the younger kids? Well, Deuteronomy is Moses' final words. His final days. What is he going to pass on? Chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, the first couple verses, this is what he says. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater, mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak. Hear, O Israel, the first task that Moses gives them is to pay attention to God, to hear God, who speaks, the task at hand requires your full attention upon the one who is leading you. Today you go to fulfill the very thing that your fathers failed to do. You go to inherit the land. These verses are a summary, but a stark reminder of the failure of the generations who have gone before them. At the same location when 12 spies were sent into the land, 10 come back and scare the people Fear speaks into their hearts, and you can hear it almost the same. The the people are at the border; they can see the land. You're going to go in and and, and dispossess the people. You're going to take the land. You can hear the the congregation: "Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it." Nations greater and mightier than yeah. Wait, what did he say? Mightier than us? You know? Oh, the Anakim are there. What's going on here? They would have the same kind of trepidation because they know what they're about to face or to encounter. Why did the earlier generation flee the land that God promised? Well, they looked at every detail, didn't they? The spies, they reported every detail. The thing the spies neglected to remind the people of is that God promised this land to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He promises it to you. And he's commanded you to go in, pay attention to God's word And Moses exhorts them here to follow God's lead. Look at verse 3. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Pay attention to God's word. Follow his lead. Firstly, God is going before them. God's been leading them in the wilderness, a pillar of cloud by Day and a fire by night. So now he is going before them in the land. If 40 years of track record and God's provision and protection is not enough for you, what is going to be enough? He is going before you as a consuming fire. That's the second thing, right? He's not only going to lead you in there, but he's going as a consuming fire. He goes before you. He will destroy your enemies, dispossess nations at war. Against God. In short, God is in your midst, the keeper of promises, the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Follow him. He's a consuming fire. This is what you are to carry the consuming fire whose wrath will destroy enemies, but whose mercy will offer you up as living sacrifices. Now, we end our services washed over with the words of Jesus in the Great Commission, don't we? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This picture here of Israel at the border, entering the land, is what I want you to picture as you depart this place, as you walk through those doors in the foyer. I want you to picture Moses giving these words, these very commission, this very commission. You are to go into the land, but know this. The Lord goes before you. You're not alone. He is a consuming fire. No enemy of Christ or his kingdom will ultimately stand, for we are more than conquerors. All of this, as we depart the place, this church, all of this is Christ's dominion. So people of Christ hear this word. Christ, your consuming fire goes with you. He goes before you. And Moses warns us as he warns the Israelites there. But be aware, you'll be tempted to go the wrong way when you depart these walls. When you cross over that border verse, border, verse four and five, do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, that it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess the land, where it, as it is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is driving them. Verse five, not because of your righteousness or your uprightness of heart are you going to possess the land. Beware of the temptation to trust in the self. We have this temptation before us continually. Moses does it three times in a very short amount of verses here. Three times. He says, do not trust in your own righteousness. Don't attribute success to your righteous life. You're doing right enough. Don't believe for a minute that God will be so impressed with your uh, morality that he can't do anything but support you, right? What evidence do you have from the day he delivered you from Egypt? What evidence do you have that your righteousness could earn God's favor? Oh, he's provided for you. He's protected you in the wilderness. Is it because of your righteousness? In the same way you were tempted in the wilderness, I think this way, you'll be tempted the same way in the land. And Moses warns three times, don't buy into it. See, God promised long before this generation that they would inherit this land And Moses makes clear also that it's because the people in the land rebel against God. They despise God who called and delivered Israel. These all are sinning against God, deserving of His wrath. God acts not because of this people, but He does act on their behalf. Pay attention to God. Be aware of the temptation to trust in self, And remember that God is patient and He is just. Look at verses 6 and following. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Is it because of your righteousness? Moses sums it up. I don't think this is hyperbole. From the day you left Egypt to this very moment, you've been a rebellious people. That's what he's saying. He'll go on to give examples of this here. Moses recounts, here, set the table for Deuteronomy since we're just jumping in here. Deuteronomy is Moses' last words instructing the people in God's word. Chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he lists out the, the Ten Commandments that were given on Mount Sinai. What happens after five? chapter 5 is that the rest of the chapters are an, ex, an exposition of the Ten Commandments. So our section here, chapter 6 through 11, is the exposition of the very first commandment that God gives to his people, which says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of, my house, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You're going to enter the land. The very first thing Moses says, you need to remember this. You shall have no other gods before Before you. And that's the crux of our passage. Underneath everything that Moses is talking about, exhorting them to, warning them of under all of that is a warning that you shall have no other gods before Yahweh. Remember, it is God who freed you from slavery. It is God who destroyed the enemy, who provided for, who protected you. And why would he do such a thing? Well, he's patient, he's kind, he is. Just. Moses doesn't mince words here. He says, you're a stubborn people, right? That <laughs> means stiff-necked, literally. It's, you're a stiff-necked people. You are a stiff-necked people, continually rejecting, rebelling against God. And yet, he loves you. He's chosen you. A people for his own possession. Not for you just to revel in that fact, but in order that you might be a living sacrifice to bless the nations. This is grace. This is unmerited favor. This is love. See, where they are going, wickedness abounds. And those who belong to God wage war against that wickedness. But not to earn favor of God, but because he has granted favor. I have brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. Serve me alone. God's command. Carry the fire. God is the consuming fire and he will go before you on this imp- impossible mission and he will give you rest. He is patient and as you know he is just to condemn sin. He is also just to forgive sin. Moses reminds his congregation that God loves and he saves them not because of their righteousness. To prove his point he spends a lot of time so chapter 9, verse 8, all the way from to chapter 10, verse 11, he recounts Israel's failure in the wilderness at the Mount Sinai when they make that golden calf, and Moses goes up the mountain to intercede for them. God's wrath burns hot. His patience wears thin. Moses recounts this event as if to say, hey, if you think you're, that God loves and saves you because you're good enough, what about that? Would you love and save you for that very reason? We love God because he first loved us. We serve not to merit, but we serve for maturity or from maturity. What we read of Israel throughout these first five books of the Bible, it's, it's, it's very relatable for us. Like we see God taking hold of a people, and then the people rebel, and in their sin, what does God, God takes hold of them? He, he breaks a people. But he always does that in order to remake the people, more glorious than they were before. See, God has not given up on Israel here, has He? God has not. He will not give up on His people, on His church. He has given His Son for us. Moses, He was the meekest of men, the Bible says. He was a prophet for the people to whom God responded. But these are His final words. This prophet was not enough for Israel, nor is prophet Moses enough for us today. We need one who will lead us into the land forever. On the local level, though, we do need Moseses in our lives, don't we? To lead us in Christ-likeness, to model for us fidelity to our king. Unadulterated service for our king. And so we just have to be asking ourselves, who do I have in my life that is doing this for me? Now, of course, Moses was not perfect. He's not entering the land because of his failures in the wilderness. None who will pour into our lives will be perfect either. But who is pouring into us, exhorting us to carry on the promises of God? And who are you pouring into? It's not simply enough to remember that God is sovereign in his salvation or how wretched we have been. This is what Moses has been pretty clear about reminding us in these sections. We're all called to enter the land. To take dominion over the land. And in the land, how then should we live? Chapter 10 goes on to talk about that. Verse 12 And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good? It's for your good. These commandments are not the ritual way in order to enter God's presence here. These are for your good. What does the Lord require of you? That's what Moses asked. You're going to be in the land here shortly. Now what does he ask of you? What does he command of you? Complete fidelity. Holy fear of God. To walk in all his ways. To love and serve him with all your being. To obey him in faithfulness. The imagery here is of vows that a husband or a bride would give one to another. As they give themselves completely to the other, you shall have no other gods before me, is the demand of the spouse, their promise to love, honor, and cherish until death. What does the Lord require? It's a maturing love, a steadfast devotion, a willing obedience, an abundant awe. It's the same story that all of Scripture has been telling us to love God, to love others but how to feed that faithfulness, that fidelity to God and love for God above all else. Look at verse 14 and a few others here. Verse 14, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in that. Verse 16, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Be no longer a stiff-necked people. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial. He takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless. And the widow loves the sojourner, him, giving him food for the, and clothing. There is none like him. Not just remember God for his acts, but look at who he is. There is none like him. See, divided devotion, to love other gods, to serve other gods, divided devotion is the destruction of the soul, for the soul is made for communion with the living and true God. His mighty works bear witness to His power. His saving grace bears witness to his love. Abide in him alone. Cut off all that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Live as those growing in his image. For his patience and his justice and his wrath are sure. This is what Moses is exhorting them. In his last words, verse 15. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers, chose their offspring after them, you above all the people's as you are this day. God chose you. Be humble. Verse 19, 20. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold, him, hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. Moses exhorts a life of examining heart and mind, of cutting off old patterns, old ways of rebellion. See, Israel desired ten times In the first two years of the exile, 10 times in two years, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to continue to serve the gods in Egypt and forsake the God who has freed them. They wanted to return to slavery. Will we be, are we any different than this? As we mature in Christ, let us lose the surprise when we tend to fail him day in and day out or when we tend to hurt others. Let us accept in our weakness and let us not hope in ourself, but in the God of gods, the Lord of lords, who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. As they go into the land, they're to take dominion of it. That's the first command, isn't it? To take dominion. Be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over all the earth. This is what man was created for. What's the foundation for man, creating, uh, for man taking dominion in society? It's the character of God himself. That's what Moses is saying. God loves the sojourner, therefore you should love the sojourner. What is the, the, the motive or the foundation for a life of obedience to God's word? It's, it's God's character, his very nature. Moses is saying, remember God because that's who it is that commands you, because that's who it is who loves you and has saved you. That is the one who will guide you and lead you. As Israel would inhabit the land to bless all nations... They are to reflect the light of God in a dark and wicked world. They are to burn brightly the fire of God's holiness, not only in believing who it is that God's revealed himself to be, but in reflecting his character. As you listen to our, the, 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 the vocabulary, the words, the, the things in our society, our society believes strongly and, and loudly in, in various causes, don't they? You can fill in the blank here, like blank lives matter. And it pops up, and we can uh, cheer with a lot of that stuff. We're all about in society about securing rights for the oppressed. There's a pursuit of equality for all. There's a lot we can get behind and support in that. But the question I have always have asking is, well, what's the basis for this? What's the foundation? What is the ground? What is the root cause of justice in a broken society? Scriptures, Moses tells us, or he points our eyes to the God of justice. The God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. The Bible says that we should love the sojourner or stranger. Why? Because God loves the sojourner, the stranger. God reminds them, reminds us, you were sojourners. You have wandered. You have sojourned. And God has poured out His love on you while you were yet enemies of Him. And therefore, love as God loves. Hold fast to Him and His way. That's it, isn't it? Our society loses grip upon Christ and His way, as so many of our churches have done as well. But entering the land here, Moses exhorts the people, exhorts us, hold fast to God. See, God has dwelt with them. As they leave Egypt... God doesn't just send them on their merry way. God dwells in their midst. He dwells with them in their camp and, more pointedly, in their tabernacle, in the glory cloud and in the fire. Moses identifies God as the consuming fire, the consuming fire who goes before them, before whom no enemy can stand. We serve that God. And he promises to be with us in our wilderness and in our rebellion and in our forgiveness. Commissioned by Jesus' words, we go each Sunday from this place without fear. We depart in great hope that evil will be vanquished one day, that Christ reigns now as he will forevermore. See, we, like Israel, have hope to carry the fire because the fire of God dwells Within us, but now it's no longer through a a pillar of fire or or cloud by day. The fire is now in the person of Jesus Christ, fanned into flame by the Holy Spirit. At the end of Moses' days, accepting God's judgment and anticipating his own death, Moses' final words are for the people to have no fear of God's enemies because God is in their midst. God is with them and for them, and he will conquer. They are to be a people who remember God's word and are formed in it. And once they dwell in peace, it is even more important to remember their God in the land in which they will inhabit. Now, we too live in a world that is broken, a wilderness, if you will. We too rebel, desire Egyptian bondage over the holy freedom won for us. Because that freedom costs our very lives. But people of God, Jesus is the consuming fire. For those who continue in rebellion, he consumes in wrath. But those who seek his face, his forgiveness. Your very life will be asked of you. But you will be offered up as a living sacrifice. And that consuming fire, Jesus Christ, will indeed Consume you, but you will also then you will also then ascend as a holy aroma, pleasing to God. For Christ has ascended before us; He goes to lead the way, and we will ascend in Christ to the God who sings over His people in gratitude and in joy, who delights to remake us in the image of His, his dear Son, that we might depart in peace to enter the land in the praise of His holy. Name. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, which is living and active. As we prepare to conclude our service and depart this place, would you go before us to conquer your enemies and ours? Would you give us strength and courage to speak in truth, to love that which is good, and to call others to that? May our lives shine brightly, the fire of Christ who consumes in his wrath, in his justice, And in his love, draw near to us as uh, your servants that we might serve you boldly, gladly all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name.